with it, and you'll enjoy it. And, and, and that helps the Bible Baptist youth go to Washington, D.C., if I understand correctly, right? So you go see them, and I guarantee you, you'll enjoy that. Open your Bibles to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, it is a joy to be back again this year. This is one of my favorite meetings of the year. I get to travel a lot of places, go a lot of places, see a lot of people, and I absolutely love coming to this one. I love the spirit and atmosphere in this place and in this meeting every single year. I enjoyed hearing... A, Stroud preached from John chapter 8 this morning. I'll be in John chapter 1 this afternoon. John chapter 1 verse 1. The Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light. That all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came into his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Pastor Eric Brown, would you ask a blessing in reading God's Word, please, sir? Lord, thank you today for the Word of God. I pray you touch your servant to preach it. Speak to our hearts very clearly and help us to do business with you this afternoon in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. It, it is hard not to like people that love the Lord Jesus Christ. There, there is no greater unifying force on earth than a love of the Lord Jesus Christ. You will find you can overcome barriers through that. But you'll overcome no other way whatsoever. The, uh, the, the gym back home that I work out in, I was working out there a couple of months ago and, um, and, 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 and did a lift that was a little bit heavier than normal for me. And, and a guy that had been watching from across the room started heading my direction. And this guy was white. And I mean really white. I, I mean, he's so white that when he passes gas, clouds of chalk dust fill the air. We're talking about that kind of white. He's really, really white. And, uh, and, and he came to speak to me. <laughs> And uh, this, you'll have a hard time getting that visual out of your mind. I know, hallelujah. But this guy came to speak to me, and, and, and the first word out of his mouth was an obscenity, followed by the word, yeah. And he was congratulating me by, by that obscenity and that, yeah. And I, and I smiled, and I, I told him I appreciate the encouragement. Then I said, you know, the Lord's been good to me to allow me to do this. And his eyes got this big around. And, and then I stuck my hand out. I said, I, I'm Pastor Bo Wagner, Cornerstone Baptist Church. And y'all went, hey, that. From that moment on, he has gone as far to the corners of the gym as possible to avoid being in my presence. I, I've sought him out, and I, I've witnessed to him and invited him to church. And Brother, and brother Chris, I'm just saying, he, he don't want to be anywhere near me. He, I mean, he's done everything but take aerobics to stay away from me, right? Well, I, I, I was in there a few weeks later and did, did another lift that was a little bit heavier than normal. And, and I had got a, a black guy to spot me. And this guy, he's got muscles on top of his muscles. I mean, the dude is huge, man. And, and he's just a, a great guy. And, and, I mean, he's so black, the way he describes it is, if I close my eyes and don't smile, you can't see me. That's the way he describes that. And, and, and he spotted me, and I did a lift. And, and when, I got, when, I, when I got done, he, he gave me a high five. He said, that was a good lift, brother. 
And I said, uh, just out of curiosity, you know the Lord Jesus Christ, your Savior? He said, I sure do. And, and son, we started talking and, and witnessing and going back and forth about the Lord Jesus Christ. Started praying and praising right there in the gym. I'm telling you, man, we're having revival right there in the Y. And you know what? You'd think based on exteriors uh, that I'd be, be more likely to get along with one. But I'm telling you, there's something greater than exteriors. If you love and exalt the Lord Jesus Christ, it's easy to be around you. And I said that to say this, I want to do everything I can, both in this message and all week long while I'm here, just to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ as high as I can. There is nothing greater we can spend our time in doing than magnifying the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. This world needs to know more of Him than they have ever known before. Child of God, if you spend your days doing anything, spend your days telling people how good the Lord Jesus Christ is. Now, there are things that Scripture tells us about itself, and I believe all of those things. For instance, we read in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That word simply means that God breathed out all the words of our Bible. Let me tell you how good our God is. He did so without ever minimizing the personality or the grammar of the people who wrote it. There are some like Isaiah that had an extensive vocabulary and a flowing style, and God utilized all that. There are people like Peter that had a very rudimentary vocabulary and a very blocky style and God used all that but still working with those men working with their vocabularies working with their style God breathed out every single word he wanted just exactly like he wanted it that tells us that every word of the Bible is exactly what God intended for us to see but it didn't just stop there. The Bible also tells us that it itself is inspired and preserved. Matthew 24, 35 says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. That is God's promise to us that from generation to generation, there will always be a perfectly preserved copy of His Word in a dominant world language that we have access to, and you're holding that in your hands. So we know from what the Bible says about itself that it is inspired, and we know that it is preserved. Because of those things that Scripture tells us about itself, we know that at least on those two levels, every verse and every word of Scripture is equal. But now may I give the flip side of that coin just for a moment. Though every word of Scripture is inspired and preserved, there are just some passages of Scripture that in their effect and impact seem to rise like mountain peaks above everything else. I have been reading online daily through the Scripture, and I started in Genesis several months back, and had just finished up Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Listen to me very carefully. I don't care how spiritual you are. If you're having a really bad day and needing some comfort from the Lord, you're not looking at the book of Numbers. It does not matter to you how many people want to war from each tribe. You want to kill somebody and go to war yourself, and that's not helping you. But man, you go to Psalm 23 and all of a sudden you hear, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now you're getting some help from the Lord. Some days I find myself feeling like I'm having to fight the devil, like he's taking up residence where I live. Have you ever been there? Man, on the days when you feel like the devil has taken up residence where you live, you're not going to the book of First and Second Chronicles and reading through the genealogies and finding out who beget who beget who beget who of names that sound like cheeseburger and tamale. You don't care what that says. It's not helping you. But man, you go to Revelation chapter 19 and you read of the Lord Jesus Christ coming back on a white horse and the armies of heaven following with Him and Him settling every score and righting every wrong and now all of a sudden you're getting some help. I think you understand what I'm saying. Some passages of Scripture seem to be more to us. 
Maybe the best way I can put it is some passages are absolute classics. If I ask this entire assembly who here could quote Numbers 3.16, not one person could do it. But if, but if I ask how many could quote John 3.16, man, everybody here could quote it just off the top of your head. Now, I said all that to say this. When we arrive in John chapter 1, we're arriving on the absolute masterpieces of Scripture. Now, everything God wrote was perfect. But he just seemed to add more color and more vibrancy, more unique brushstrokes in John chapter 1 than he did in many other places. Now, out of all this elegant beauty, there's a word, a theme, that dominates the first 14 verses of John chapter 1. We find it three times in one verse and one time in another. Look in John 1, 1 again. It says, in the beginning was the, here it is, say it, word, and the word was made, was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The first 14 verses of this beautiful chapter are about the Word, capital W. It is very clear from the chapter that the Word being spoken of is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. The Word here is not a what. The Word is a who. Now pay attention for a second to what verses 11 and 12 says in light of that. It says, He came unto His own, and His own, here's another word, received Him not. But as many as, here it is again, received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. Now pay attention to the fact that the word received is mentioned in both of these verses. Now, when we often speak of the Lord, we speak of Him receiving us as His children. We speak of, of Him allowing us to be born again into His family. We speak of Him adopting us as sons. And all of that is true. But here's the flip side of that. Not only does God receive us, we get the privilege of receiving Him. In other words, the Lord wants to be ours on a personal level. The psalmist said in Psalm 23, 1, The Lord is my shepherd. He said in Psalm 22, verse 10, Thou art my God. Job said, I know that my Redeemer liveth. My, my, my. We get to receive Him as ours. Now I want you to consider this in light of what he called himself four times in this passage, the Word. There's a phrase that we use in our common vernacular, an innocent phrase, not one thing sinful or wicked about it, and we just say it all day without thinking about it. You'll hear people say, Oh, my word. And, you know, if we change the cadence of that just a little bit, and if we change the emphasis of that just a little bit, I believe we can draw something out of this chapter that will help us from now on. I want to preach for a little while on the subject. Oh, my word. But you notice several things from John chapter 1 that is found in this chapter. Number one, when I think of creation, I'm compelled to say, oh, my word. Look at verse 1 through 3 again. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. All things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. Now we say that in a general sense. But if you start to look at it in the specifics, it gets really awe-inducing. Genesis 1-3 says, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. 
Now, it is interesting that when God said, let there be light, he said it as a direct address. In other words, he was speaking to someone or something. And the way he said it tells us that he was speaking to light itself. You say that's not possible, that light didn't exist. That's exactly right. In other words, follow me in this. God spoke to the light which did not exist, commanded it to come into existence, and the light which did not exist and was not in existence heard him speak and said, yes, sir, if you want me to exist, I'll start existing. And the light that didn't exist started existing when he told it to exist. Now, how about our God? That's my word that we're talking about. Listen, God made the light before there were any light sources. There was no sun, no stars, no moon, no supernovas. And yet God made the entire light spectrum. He made all of this energy that is light. Has it ever dawned on you that back in the 1960s, 70s, and 80s, when people backslid and got wrong on God, they would go to their rock concerts, they'd flip out the little big lighters, they'd wave them back and forth, and in the 80s they would hope desperately that it didn't get too near to the hair of some woman who had just put an entire cannabis brick on her head. And they're waving those lights back and forth. And now, back in the 2000s, they're waving cell phones back and forth at their concerts. And it does not dawn on them while they're worshiping their idols that the very thing that they are waving back and forth is a testimony to the God who made it all. When I think of creation, I'm compelled to say, oh, my word. Genesis 1, 14 and 15 says, And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night. Let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. Let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights. The greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. Our sun is 93 million miles from earth. It's 1.3 million times bigger than earth. But it's not the biggest thing out there. You will find out there is something called the pistol star. It's 25,000 light years from Earth. Remember that our sun is 1.3 million times bigger than Earth. Well, the pistol star is 100 times bigger than our sun. A NASA website said astronomers are unsure how so large a body could have come into existence. I'm not unsure. He made the stars also. And when I see the heavens, the firmament that God has created, my soul is compelled to cry, Oh, my word! Verse 20 says, And God said that the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life. Years ago, my wife, sweet Miss Dana, came absolutely unhinged on a day at our church. No, none of you pastor's wives have ever had that happen. She came unhinged because there was a man there that had run his mouth and run his mouth and run his mouth. And on that day, she found out that my patience was greater than hers with Bailey. And she absolutely snapped. She came unglued in the office and she was threatening to go out there and to do incredible and detailed bodily harm to this full-grown man in our church. I know that surprises you, you that know Miss Dana. You think she'd never do that. But I'm telling you, she was absolutely off the chain at that point, And she was going to put that man in the hospital. And the bad part is, I knew she could do it. And, and, and I told her, I said, honey, we're, we're going to leave town for a couple of days. She said, where are you going? I said, I don't know, but we're leaving town for a couple of days. And, and, and I put her in the car, and, and we drove down to the Georgia Aquarium, and, and just stayed down there in Georgia, and looked at the aquarium for a while, and we're, we're there, and she's finally, she's seeing all the soothing creatures pass by in the water, and she's starting to calm down a little bit. And we saw the beluga whale display. And the scientist on, the, on, on staff there said, now the beluga whale is a unique creature. It is a voluntary breather. It has to choose to come to the top of the water and breathe in oxygen. Then she said, but however, like all creatures that are living, it must sleep. Now, have you ever wondered how a creature that must sleep can still get oxygen and still not die? She said, the beluga whale's brain is very unique. 
Half of it stays awake while the other half goes to sleep. And then the next sleep cycle it will change and this side will stay awake while this side goes to sleep. And the half that stays awake makes the beluga whale come to the top of the water and breathe. And I begin to laugh and giggle a little bit out there. And the scientist is frowning at me. And Miss Dana is nudging me because she knows when I start laughing something bad is probably going to happen. And she said, well, what is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? And I said, I wonder how that evolved. How does something take millions of years to evolve when you've got to be breathing from day one? Listen to me. My God made that. When I see, when I see creation, I'm compelled to say, Oh, my word! For years and years, evolution has said, we all came from a simple, one-celled creature called an amoeba. But in 1953, a funny thing happened along the way. In 1953, two researchers named James Watson and Francis Crick discovered something called deoxyribonucleic acid. We know it as DNA. DNA has a helical structure that looks like a twisted ladder. The sides of the ladder are formed by alternating deoxyribose and phosphate molecules. The rungs of the ladder consist of a specific order of four nitrogen bases, adenine, thymine, cysteine, and guanine. They're represented by the four letters A, T, C, and G. They make up the genetic alphabet. Now, letters are used to make words and sentences. They're used to communicate. Please look with me there and there. You've got signs of the wall that have four letters on them. E-X-I-T. What does that tell you? Exit. It tells you how to get out. But you don't just need those two letters, E-X-I-I and T. You need them in the exact order. If it said T-I-X-E, we'd be going, Tixie, what's Tixie? That wouldn't help, that wouldn't help us at all, now would it? You not only have to have the letters, you have to have them arranged right. In those four letters, there are 24 possible combinations that you could take. In other words, you've only got a 1 in 24 chance of getting those right by accident and communicating what you need to communicate. Listen to me carefully. That simple amoeba, that first life that we all supposedly came from, it has enough ATCs and Gs that it is made up of that would fill up 1,000 complete sets of the entire Encyclopedia Britannica and all you've got to do to get it right is get every last one of them in the identical proper order. That doesn't happen by accident. My Word made that. Listen to me. When I consider creation, all I can say is, Oh, my Word. Look at John chapter 1, verse 14. When I think of His condescension, I'm compelled to say, Oh, my Word. John 1, 14 says, And the Word was made flesh. Now, to say that mankind made a mess of things in the garden would be the understatement of the ages. God gave one simple command. Don't eat that fruit of that tree, of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat that. And we all know how that ended up. When Alice's world was under a curse, mankind was bound to die one after the other. And worst of all, our sin was going to take us to a Christless, eternal hell, never to be released. But John 1.14 says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Galatians 4.4 says, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And how did all that come about? 
Isaiah 7.14 says, Therefore the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call His name Emmanuel. Matthew 1.18 says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as His mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. God wrapped Himself in flesh and came to where we were. Now try as hard as you can for a few moments to understand the depth of condescension we are talking about. To condescend means for someone of a much higher level to stoop down in love and grace and mercy to someone of a much lower level. Years ago, we had one child, Caleb and Miss Dana, was pregnant, greatly pregnant with our second child, Karis. It was the winter time, and all of us got sick with the flu. It was rough. And then, just to prove that things can get worse, the power went off at the house. Our in-laws, the sessions, called us and said, Why don't you come to stay with us? We've got power here. Well, they all had the flu too, but they had power. So we went over to their house and parked on the couch on the floor. Power went off over there. So now we got an entire household full of people with the flu. No power. And in the middle of the night, my son produced the most biblical proportion, epic amount of puke that has ever happened in mankind's history. I mean, he absolutely went on so bad, I thought he was spitting demons out, man. I mean, he, he filled the floor with it. And my wife... Seven or eight months pregnant, has the flu herself, got down in the filth, cleaned every ounce of it up, and then took that boy and held him to her chest all night long and rocked him while he cried and rocked him while he hurt. And I thought that's not even scratching the tip of the iceberg of what the Lord Jesus Christ did in coming down to help me in all my filth. Listen to me, heaven had streets of gold. Bethlehem had streets of dust. Heaven had a throne for God to sit on. Bethlehem had a manger, a dirty, sloppy feeding trough for him to lay in. Heaven had no waste. The streets of Bethlehem were filled with garbage and refuse. Heaven had no germs or disease. Bethlehem had germs and disease and leprosy and every other type of infliction. Listen, the ruler of heaven is just, perfect, and holy. The ruler of Bethlehem of Judea was a tyrant, a bloodthirsty coward who hated everyone and trusted no one and killed multitudes just trying to kill Jesus in his heavenly form. He never got hungry. In his earthly form, he got hungry like everyone else. In his heavenly form, he never got thirsty. In his earthly form, he hung on a cross and said, I thirst. In his heavenly form, he never got tired. On earth, he sat on a well because he was weary with his journey. In heaven, we find the angels above him worshiping him, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. But on earth, he got called the child of fornication. On earth, he got accused of being demon-possessed. On earth, he got accused of being in Insane. On earth he got called a drunk. In heaven everyone treated him well at all times. On earth his own brothers refused to believe in him. On earth the men of Gadara said leave our country don't ever come back. On earth Peter denied him. On earth Judas betrayed him. On earth his beard was yanked out of his face. On earth he was beaten so badly that he couldn't be recognized as a man. On earth a crown of thorns was rammed and beaten down onto his head. On earth he, they pierced his hands and feet. On earth his side was riven. That is what happened when the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. He did that for me. He did that for you. He condescended to men of low estate. 
when I consider His condescension, preacher, all I can say is, Oh, my word. Number three, look at John 1, 9. When I think of His conquering power, I'm compelled to say, Oh, my word. John 1, 9 says, That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Now look at me, there is nothing in Scripture by accident, not even small stuff. God does stuff exactly like He wants it, so you better pay close attention or you'll miss something going through. Notice here that John said, that was the true light. He's talking in past tense as far as our language is concerned. Then he says, that was the true light which lighteth presently every man that cometh into the world. Now do you reckon he went from past tense to present tense by accident. Do you, do you think maybe that was just a slip of the pen right there? Or, or do you think maybe he was remembering something that changed his life forever? John 19.30 says, When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, He said, It is finished! And He bowed His head and gave up the ghost. That was the true light. But that's not the end of the story, and you know it. Luke 24.1 says, Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came into the sepulcher, bringing spices which they prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher, and they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass as they were much perplexed thereabout. Behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He's not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee. Acts 2.24 says, Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. Romans 1.14 says, He's declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15.20 says, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. Revelation 1.18 says, I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. Hey, the stone is rolled away. Oh, my word. The guards are speechless. Oh, my word. The tomb is empty. Oh, my word. He has the keys of hell and death. Oh, my word. He's appeared to the disciples. Oh, my word. He dropped in on Saul of Tarsus on the Damascus Road. Oh, my word. He showed up to John on the Isle of Patmos. Oh, my word. He's alive forevermore. Oh, my word. Oh, my word. Number four, when I think of His call to salvation, I'm compelled to say, oh, oh, my word. Look at verse 11 and 12. It says, He came unto His own, and His own received Him not, but as many as received Him. To them gave He power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on His name. Hey, listen to me. Jesus came and He offered Himself to His people. Those closest to Him. Most of them rejected Him. But as many as received Him. Jew and Gentile, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. Can I tell you why Jesus came? He did not came to cure social ills. He did not come to right inequities. Luke 19.10 says, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's right. He came to save your soul. Listen, Caiaphas and Annas, the high priest, turned him away and refused to receive him. But a crooked tax collector named Zacchaeus crawled up in a tree so he could get a better view, then came down at Jesus' command, and salvation came to his house that day. 
Hey, Herod tried to kill him, but Stephen laid down his life for him. The rich young ruler let, let, let go of Jesus and held on tightly to his pocketbook. Paul said, I've given up everything for him, and I count it but dung that I may win Christ. The Pharisees hated him, but an old naked demoniac put his clothes on and said, Lord, can I just be with you? The Sadducees tried to find a way to kill him, but Peter said, Lord, we believe thou art the Christ, the Son of God. Judas betrayed him, but Thomas looked at him and said, My Lord and my God. Listen, Jesus came for lepers and whoremongers and drunkards and the poor and the lame and the blind and social outcasts. He came for sinners of every kind and stripe and every time a sinner receives Him, He becomes a Son of God. Listen to me. I want to drive this home. This is a personal thing that we're talking about. We're not talking about some distant God who does not know or care what you're going through. We're talking about a God literally that wants day by day to be an active part of your life. If you don't know Him, can I tell you just briefly what you're missing? My habit is to get up in the morning, do my Bible reading and my, my prayer time then, but at night, as I'm going to sleep, since the time I was about that big, I've been in the habit of praying myself to sleep every night. I just love doing it. If you don't do it that way, fine and dandy, no big deal. I don't care about it. I like doing it. And I, I, I just pray until I fall asleep. And that way the last thing that goes on in my day is I'm talking to the Lord. Amen. Well, when, 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 you, when, you, when you pray, sometimes the Lord sort of nudges your heart and almost like He speaks back sometimes. Several months ago, I was praying myself to sleep and the Lord nudged my heart in a way that scared me awake. And it was, pray that the house doesn't burn down. That'll wake you up. I said, okay, Lord. Please don't let the house burn down. And after a while, I managed to go to sleep. I, I forgot about it the next day and went to bed the next night. Lord knows my heart. Pray the house doesn't burn down. Now you really got my attention. Okay, Lord. Don't let the house burn down. Seven nights in a row. Now, friends, by seven nights, I'm telling you, it's all I'm thinking of all day long. It's on my mind all day long now. Seven nights this happens. I'm running through scenario after scenario after scenario in my mind. What would I do if? What would I do if? What would I do if? Seven nights, I pray that. Go to bed that seventh night at 4.45 in the morning, the alarm goes off. I'm used to false alarms that happen all the time. But when, I, when, the, when the fog starts to clear my mind, I realize the tone is different. It's not the front door tone. It's something else. So I run into the front part of the house. And when I get to the kitchen, I run into a wall of smoke. I immediately screamed, everybody up and out. We've got a fire. And then I turned left 90 degrees, went four steps, and cut all the power to the house. Why? Because I've been thinking of it for seven days now because God keeps on telling me to pray that. Got everybody out of the house, called the fire department. They came down there. We looked for an hour, hour and a half. Finally, pulled the panel off of the HVAC unit, looked down beside the HVAC unit. There's a plastic capacitor on the side of that inside air handler. It has caught on fire. It has melted. When I ran in there, the the fan is circulating that through the house, turned left, cut off the power. When I cut off the power, the airflow stops, the power stops, the fire goes out. It is one inch 
from a Luan panel, if you know anything about Luan, that's some of the most flammable substance on earth. That panel goes straight up into the attic. If it had hit that Luan panel, the entire house would have been gone in a matter of minutes. But for seven straight nights, God had reminded me and reminded me and reminded me and reminded me so I did exactly what needed to be done. A day later, I'm praying and saying, God, i got a question. You're of all power. Couldn't you have just not let the fire happen to start with? And he said, yes, that would have been a present for you. P-R-E-S-E-N-T. But instead, I gave you something better. I gave you my presence. P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E. Instead, I'll let you know that I know where you're at and what you're going through now and what you'll go through next week and what you're going to need. I want you to know I'm yours. Child of God, walk with God. Sinner, you better accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior because you hear me, He is the Word no matter what. The question is, is He your Word? Nothing you ever do is going to stop Him from being the Word. But you've got to receive Him for Him to be your Word. This is a personal thing, one-to-one-to-one-to-one-to-one. In every life, there has to come a time where you either receive or reject Him. There's got to come a time where you make the Word your Word. At our church seven years ago, a man 69 and a half years old knelt on this side of the altar, raised his hand, accepted Christ as a Savior. Brother Buck has become one of my best friends in this world. He's now 77, 78 years old. I love him. Getting ready to have a 55-year anniversary party for him at our church this coming Friday, him and his yeah. wife. Great folks. Boy, when he got it, I mean, he got it. We, we, we took a men's trip down to the beach, and, and, and we are, we're going through the mall, and he's handing out gospel tracts in the mall, and a big, huge, giant security guard comes up and says, You can't do that. He said, I can. He said, Where'd you get permission? He said, God. The guy said, Don't let me see you do that again. He said, Okay, don't look. Just kept going, man. <laughs> yeah, I just shook, shook his shoulders and kept on going on, man. Buck, after he got saved, the preacher came to me and he said, I need you to pray for Dot. I need you to pray for my wife. He said, Preacher, I know you see her raising her hand that she's saved. Preacher, she's not saved. Preacher, pray for Dot. We prayed for Dot. Oh, we prayed for Dot. We prayed for Dot. Man, about six months ago, 74 years old, she came out in the fellowship hall where Buck and I are working. She said, Preacher, i got some problems. Can I talk to you? I said, Yes, ma'am, absolutely. She began to tell me about things that were going on in her life. Holy Spirit nudged my heart. This would be a good time. I said, Okay. I said, Miss Dot, I can I tell you what you really need? She said, What's that? I said, You need to be saved. And she said, Preacher, you're right. I do. And I said, Would you like to now? She said, I would. She bowed her head and she began to confess sins. And after a while, she looked up and she said, You reckon that'll do? I said, I reckon that'll do. She said, Lord, you save me and forgive me my sins. There's plenty of them, I know. But I want, you to be, I want you to save me. You know what? He'd always been the Word. Now He's her Word. He's the Word. But is He your, is, is he your Word? When I was nine years old, He became my Word. Have you been saved? Have you ever gotten born again? You may have grown up in church. You may have been very good. You may look the part of a Christian. 
Is he your word? Do you have that kind of a walk with him that you can feel him and talk with him and sense him all day? Is he your word? Let's all stand, please. Heads and eyes are closed. I can have play him invitation. Get ready for him.